Hello and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Garrity. Today I'm joined by Marbu Brown, founder of the Customer Obsession Advantage, an organization dedicated to helping companies achieve transcendent business results through customer obsession. Marbu is an accomplished CX executive, having worked everywhere from JP Morgan Chase and Amazon.com to Microsoft and Cisco Systems. In this episode, Marbu reveals why customer obsession is the secret sauce that has fueled the success of some of the world's most beloved and successful brands, and he gives some great examples. He also gives his thoughts on why he thinks AI is going to be able to take customer support to a whole new level. He's got some great insights, so let's head over to studio to meet Marbu Brown. Marbu, welcome to Inside Intercom. Thank you so much for joining me today. And Liam, it's a pleasure for me to be with you. I uh, look forward to our discussion. You had such an interesting career to date. I'd love if you could just tell us a little bit about your journey to this point. Well, look, uh, ever since I got out of graduate school, I've been in the customer experience space one way or another. Whether it was my primary job or it was my secondary job, I have been having some, you know, form of connection to customer experience. And, you know, I have a passion for it. I developed a passion for it after being involved, like I said, right out of graduate school. I had the opportunity to work with some very special people in the field. Early on, uh, there was a model called the ServQual model. My team did a lot of innovations on that. Uh, We published it. That actually became a whole issue of Marketing Research Magazine. And, you know, the journey has continued on from there. Early on, I got to work with people like Klaus Fresnel, who um, pioneered the American Customer Satisfaction Index, Parsu and Leonard Berry and Valerie Zeithamel. So, you know, I started off there. But that journey has continued, and I got a chance to work for companies like Microsoft, Amazon, doing work around customer experience, right? Got a chance to to really, you know, blaze some new trails, break some new ground, and just an opportunity to deliver some key results around customer experience. And most recently, I was at J.P. Morgan Chase as the head of customer experience for the Consumer Bank. And we were able to put some stellar results on the board. So I love how you've kind of taken all of these brilliant experiences and learnings and put them in a book that came out, uh, I think, just a couple of months ago now, Blueprint for Customer Obsession. What inspired you to write it? Well, look, the phrase customer obsession is one of those phrases that is is regularly used. You you see uh, Forbes, for example, will put out a list of the most customer-obsessed companies. But when it gets right down to it, everybody who uses the phrase customer obsession doesn't necessarily mean the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to tackle the whole notion of giving a really airtight definition of customer obsession using real-life examples of companies that people won't argue are customer obsessed and then, you know, give us a common language so that we, we really have, you know, evidence that we, we can put on the table when we talk about customer companies being customer obsessed. 
And, you know, like you say, you know, those phrases, those alternative phrases we hear are, you know, customer focus or customer centric. So how do you define customer obsession as, as differing from all of those other ones? Well, let me start off by saying that one of the things I do in the book is the customer obsession continuum. And I've described companies all the way from customer indifferent, customer aware, customer focused, customer centric, and customer obsessed. So I want to start off by saying that, you know, even when people talk about customer focused companies, customer centric companies, they're not the same as customer obsessed companies, right? Let me say this about customer-obsessed companies. They are companies who take actions and they make investments in the customer's favor, even when they cannot immediately connect the dots to the financial benefit for themselves. Now, the reason they do this is because they know that it always pans out in the end. If you take the approach that what's good for customers is good for the business, all right? I can give you like some very specific examples of yeah. you know how, how companies have done this. That'd be Look, great. When I was at uh, Amazon, we had a mechanism called the Customer Experience Andon Cord. What the Customer Experience Andon Cord does, in its most basic sense, it gives customer service associates the ability to pull products off the Amazon site if those products are causing a bad experience for customers, okay? Now, we had business rules that would trigger a customer service associate to do that, right? And to be quite frank, we modernized that to the point where we had uh, machine learning models and, and you know advanced statistical models and all those kinds of things that were actually pulling those items faster then customer service associates could detect them. But that's a pretty big deal. When you give, you know, an associate the ability to pull a product off the site so that it's not being sold. And then, by the way, in the background, that would automatically trigger a whole troubleshooting cycle to determine what the problem was and whether that problem could be fixed so the product could be relisted, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that's extreme as compared with what you would find in, in other places, right? So that's one kind of example of the type of thing that, uh, you know, you would have a customer-obsessed company doing. You mentioned there the kind of companies doing this, knowing that, say, the financial gain isn't going to be there immediately. Is there kind of a hurdle for companies who maybe want to be more customer obsessed to get over that, you know, that it maybe it's a bit scary to, in the first place, to do that when you're not going to see these immediate results. Well, and I'm not saying that they always don't see immediate results, mm -hmm. but what I am saying is that maybe they're not able to connect the dots immediately. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to see immediate results. Mm -hmm. Right now, let me say this, you know, one of the things that customer-obsessed companies do is they take dollars that they might normally put towards marketing and put it towards the customer experience, right? And so the reason that they're able to do that is because when customers have great experiences, 
they turn around and they tell people about it and they post about it. You know, Jeff Bezos made a, a saying way back when that it used to be that when a customer had a bad experience, they would tell six friends. But now in the Internet age, they tell 6,000 friends. Well, look, I can tell you, are you familiar with the pet supplies company called Chewy? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, Chewy is a company that really has a, a customer obsessed culture. And Chewy went from being a brand new company in six years to being the number one retailer of pet food on the internet. Wow. All right. That means that there's a past Amazon in doing that. And, you know, I'll give you an example of a case where a customer had a pet that passed away. So he contacted Chewy to see if he could return, you know, a bag of prescription food that he had for his dog that he wasn't going to be able to use anymore. And they told him, look, you don't have to return that. They refunded him and they said he could donate it. So he didn't have to go through all that trouble to, to do that. And he thought, wow, that's that's pretty amazing. Well, some days later, he got an oil painting of his pet in the mail, right? With, you know, like a, a handwritten note. Wow. He was so touched by that. He thought, maybe if I post this, you know, they'll get some credit. Well, you know, between likes and repostings and all those kinds of things, you know, like more than 100,000 people saw that. Wow. So if you, if you think about, you know, what Jeff Bezos said, it's not even 6,000 friends anymore. It's hundreds of thousands. And so that's one of the things that can help companies get over the hurdle, because bottom line is when you do great things for your customers, they tell others, Right. They become rabid fans. Look, when I was living in the Seattle area, Chick-fil-A opened a restaurant there in the Bellevue suburb for the first time. And it basically caused a whole traffic incident, right? The cars in the parking lot were coming out of the drive through backing up onto the road, around the corner, and into the ramp off the highway, which was not so far, you know, nearby. And so they had to bring in police to basically manage the traffic flow and all of that sort of stuff. Well, if that went on for a week, it'd be a problem. If it went on for two <laughs> weeks, it'd be a problem. But it went on for months, right? I mean, so, you know, like these, these folks are rabid fans, right? It's so interesting because... I read a write-up in one of the Seattle papers that said maybe it should have been a clue to the city officials when they saw people camping out in the uh, in the Chick-fil-A parking lot before the store ever even opened, right? So, you know, this is the thing that these companies, their customers are not casual consumers. They're rabid fans. And when you have your, your customers in the rabid fan zone, then they do your marketing for you. They do your advertising for you, right? And so that's one of the ways that it pays off when companies go to those kinds of extremes, right? Do customer-obsessed companies, are they creating that certain type of customer? Are they attracting them? Well, I'm not sure I can fully answer that question, 
right? I mean, look, it's a special kind of customer that goes to the extent of tattooing um, a brand on their arm or something like that. You know, some Costco customers have gone to that extent. Now, you know what? Those stores do special things, right? And and customers just love it. And they want to tell other people. About it. I mean, there's, there's people who have started blogs to tell others about, you know, what are the deals in Costco? Now, it's not like Costco doesn't send out their own flyers and all of those kinds of things to tell people what the deals are. But these folks are so excited about this, they just can't keep it to themselves. Yeah. Right. But but that's one of the things about these companies that are in that category of customer obsessed. People are constantly out there telling their story for them and it's organic. They don't have to to prime these people to do it. It's just they do what they do and the customers, you know, pick up the mantle and run with it. Well, that's just it. I, I suppose I'm here in Dublin, Ireland, but I have friends who've told me about Costco, you know, across the Atlantic, you know, about their return policy. And so I I suppose that's how far it extends. Well, look, I mean, Costco opened up in China and, you know, there was like a three hour wait for people to get in to get into the store. Right. I mean, so there's it inspires a certain type of loyalty. And this is what you find with the customer-obsessed companies. And and that's what I've done in the book. What I've done is I've identified eight things that differentiate these companies, you know, from others, right? Eight hallmarks. You know, when you find a company that has those hallmarks, they're going to be in that customer-obsessed category, right? You know, one of the the things that I'm talking about right now, one of those hallmarks is that they bet the farm on extreme customer-centric policies, right? So they do these policies that really stack the odds in the customer's favor. Other folks would would look at these policies and think, you guys must be insane. (laughs) And those other companies, like you said, wouldn't have necessarily, you know, the mindset to go and, and replicate those policies, right? But these companies keep doing this and with great effect. I'd love to hear from your own experiences in, you know, Amazon and elsewhere. Like, how do you create a customer-obsessed culture within the company? Well, look, let me tell you. The companies that I've been in, Amazon, J.P. Morgan, Chase, you know, that mindset comes from the top. Let me give you an example of another kind of thing that Amazon would do. Mm. Uh, Jeff Bezos used to have something called the question mark email. Jeff was always encouraging customers to email him. And um, when they did, he would take an email, he would put a question mark on it, and he would send it to one of his direct reports. And that email would filter its way down through the organization, and it might land on your desk. And if it landed on your desk, basically the most senior person who had responsibility for you know, what Jeff asked about, it was your responsibility to to pull together that response. And you pulled together that response knowing that any commitments that were made in that response, there definitely had to be a follow-through, right? You definitely had to have 
done the troubleshooting to know what the root cause was. And you weren't just fixing it for that one customer, but you were basically fixing it so that other customers would, would not have a similar problem, right? Now, it, it's interesting because one time somebody asked Jeff a question. He says, so Jeff, how do you feel about it when you send one of these email and it randomizes a whole group for a week? He said, you know what, then it must be a very important problem, very difficult problem that they had to solve. And that person was almost saying, you know, like, uh, this is interrupting the business. And his point was, no, it's not interrupting the business. This is solving serious problems for customers. We don't want those problems to be repetitive. We want to make them go away at the source, right? That's the kind of thing that comes down from the top. And, and when it comes from the top, everybody else in the chain knows that, this is what it takes to be customer obsessed, and they're going to go out and do it. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but... For every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. What is personalized customer service to you? You know, how do you kind of define it? Well, look, let me, let me tell you a few things about, and I'm going to go again to one of the principles or one of the hallmarks of customer obsession. And that is that customer obsessed companies engage personally, right? So number one, these companies, they get their customers, right? When their customers engage with them, they personalize the experiences so that it doesn't seem like, you know, like you're a stranger to that company. When you go in, you feel like, oh, these folks get me. Like, for example, if you have a reason to contact Amazon customer service, whether it's by chat, by phone or whatever, if you do it by chat, all of a sudden you're going to see something about the last thing that that you ordered because, you know, they figure that you might be contacting them about the last thing that you ordered and they'll give you options if you've ordered several things. Right. So it doesn't come across like you know, like a generic experience. It comes across like one that's tailored to you, okay? And 
you know, if it's something that when you go in, the chat is not able to engage with you and solve, it'll automatically switch you over to a live agent, right? So these are the kinds of things that, that these companies do to personalize the experience. But let me go to another company. I'll take Ritz, Ritz-Carlton. They have a, a system that they practice with their ladies and gentlemen, their associates. And what they do is they practice with those folks to identify unexpressed needs. So you have a family that comes in and, you know, the wife is expecting and they come in and normally they might have set your room up with champagne and something like that. But maybe by the time you get up there, it's switched to apple juice or, you know, sparkling cider or something like that. You know, they're keying in on these needs that you haven't necessarily expressed. There was a, a customer who went to a Ritz. He went paddleboarding. His uh, shades dropped off in the water. He thought, okay, forget that. I'm never going to see those again. Next day, somebody brings him his shades. No. <laughs> yeah, they... because somebody died and recovered those shades for him and brought it to him, right? See, that's obsession. That's not the normal thing that you would get. And that's what personalizing the experience means, right? You know, it means giving the customer what they want before they even know they need it. Because you're attuned. You're paying attention to what those customers' needs are. I loved when you were talking about the Amazon example in terms of returning back and seeing some of the products that maybe you bought recently. So as a starting point and being able to switch you over to a human support person, I suppose that's it's kind of the personalization. It's the marriage, I suppose, of human support and automation together. And I suppose with the recent release of OpenAI's ChatGBT4 and even our own Intercom's GBT4 powered chatbot Finn. I, I'd love to ask you what you think the future has in store for customer service with AI. Well, look, I think that there have been places where automation has been lacking. And I think that with AI, we're going to be able to take that to a, a, a whole nother level. Humor me for a bit now. Mm. Uh, share something with you. So look, if you're a Windows user, there's a mental model that goes with you using Windows, right? You know where things are. You, you know how to find things if they're not appearing. But that's partially because you have a mental model for how that works. If you're a Mac user, that mental model is different. Now, let's think about apps in your phone, for example. If you use a banking app, if you use multiple banks, the organization of those apps is different. And so where you look for things or where you find things or what even in the app, you know, you don't necessarily have a mental model for how to do that. Mm -hmm. But also, if your mental model is different than the designer's mental model, you might have trouble finding stuff. So when you think about now, if I have an AI assistant to help me navigate those apps, to help me navigate IVRs on the phone, then that mental model thing goes out the window because that automated assistant now is smart enough to figure out, A, is the thing you're looking for even there? B, 
it can go find it and bring it to you. So that that will change the dynamics of how customer service is delivered in a lot of different ways. And, and think about this. I don't know how directly you experienced this, but during COVID, when we went from a state where at the beginning of the week on Monday, call centers were fully operational everywhere. And by Thursday, everywhere in the world, those call centers were being shut down. Now, some people were were in a great position where they were using call center software, where their their customer service associates could essentially pick up a laptop, take it home, plug in, and fire the whole thing up and keep working. But there was a lot who weren't. Now, imagine if you had your digital assistants with AI capabilities to be able to help service customers under those conditions, right? I mean, that would make a huge difference. So that's where I see that, you know, we can have AI make a huge difference. And and I'm sorry it took me that long to answer the question, but I, I think that, you know, you get a pretty rich idea of how this can come together. Yeah, no, exactly. That's the nail on the head. What's next for you? Do you have any big plans or projects for 2023? Well, look, I've got a few things that I'm working on to bring together. One of them is something called the Customer Obsession Barometer, if you will, that I'm looking to take companies and and really create a ranking based on these hallmarks of customer obsession, right, To, to be able to really give companies a good assessment of where they fit in the customer obsession spectrum, right? So so that's one thing. I'm also looking to launch some CXO circles that I would moderate where we would have, you know, folks coming together around some very hot customer experience topics, you know, like sharing with one another, but also having me inject, you know, certain insights into it as well like we're doing now. So so those are, you know, some of the hot things that I have on the horizon. That sounds great. And so where can people go to keep up with you, you know, and your work? Well, I would give people two places to go. Mm-hmm. One of them is my website, which is customerobsession.net. But also folks can connect with me on LinkedIn. The key thing, let me spell it out so folks know how to spell my name because it's not very common. So it's M-A-R-B, like boy, B-U-E, Marbu Brown. There's not too many of those on LinkedIn. And so, uh, you know, if they just, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on LinkedIn, that would be a great way to connect as well. Perfect. I'll put all of those in uh, the description and the show notes. Marbu, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I really hope that folks who listen in get some nuggets that they can take and use right away. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Marbu Brown. As always, you'll find a full transcript of today's show on the Intercom blog. And don't forget, you can now watch our podcast on YouTube. The links to both the transcript and the video are in the description. Okay, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. This is Inside Intercom.